0: Chapter Three of Arthur Mervyn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Arthur Mervyn by Charles Brockton Brown. Chapter Three. I rose at the dawn, and without asking or bestowing a blessing, sallied forth into the high road to the city, which passed near the house. I left nothing behind, the loss of which I regretted. I had purchased most of my own books with the product of my own separate industry, and their number being, of course, small, I had, by incessant application, gotten the whole use of them by rote. They had ceased, therefore, to be of any further use. I left them, without reluctance, to the fate for which I knew them to be reserved, that of affording food and habitation to mice. I trod this unwanted path with all the fearlessness of youth in spite of the motives to despondency and apprehension incident to my state my heels were light and my heart joyous now said i i am mounted into man i must build a name and fortune for myself strange if this intellect and these hands will not supply me with an honest livelihood i will try the city in the first place but if that should fail resources are still left to me I will resume my post in the cornfield and threshing floor, to which I shall always have access and where I shall always be happy. I had proceeded some miles on my journey when I began to feel the inroads of hunger. I might have stopped at any farmhouse and have breakfasted for nothing. It was prudent to husband with the utmost care my slender stock but I felt reluctance to beg as long as I had the means of buying, and I imagined that coarse bread and a little milk would cost little even at a tavern, when any farmer was willing to bestow them for nothing. My resolution was further influenced by the appearance of a signpost. What excuse could I make for begging a breakfast with an inn at hand and silver in my pocket? I stopped accordingly and breakfasted. The landlord was remarkably attentive and obliging, but his bread was stale, his milk sour, and his cheese the greenest imaginable. I disdained to animadvert on these defects, naturally supposing that his house could furnish no better. Having finished my meal, I put, without speaking, one of my pieces into his hand. This deportment I conceived to be highly becoming, and to indicate a liberal and manly spirit, I always regarded with contempt a scrupulous maker of bargains. He received the money with a complacent obeisance. "'Right,' said he. "'Just the money, sir. You're on foot, sir. A pleasant way of travelling, sir. I wish you a good day, sir.' So saying, he walked away. This proceeding was wholly unexpected. I conceived myself entitled to at least three-fourths of it in change— The first impulse was to call him back and contest the equity of his demand, but a moment's reflection showed me the absurdity of such conduct. I resumed my journey with spirits somewhat depressed. I have heard of voyagers and wanderers in deserts who were willing to give a casket of gems for a cup of cold water. I had not supposed my own condition to be, in any respect, similar, yet I had just given one-third of my estate for a breakfast. I stopped at noon at another inn. I counted on purchasing a dinner for the same price, since I meant to content myself with the same fare. A large company was just sitting down to a smoking banquet. The landlord invited me to join them. I took my place at the table, but was furnished with bread and milk. Being prepared to depart, I took him aside. "'What is to pay?' said I. "'Did you drink anything, sir?' "'Certainly I drank the milk which was furnished.' "'But any liquors, sir?' "'No.' He deliberated a moment, and then, assuming an air of disinterestedness, "'Tis our custom to charge dinner and club, but as you drank nothing we'll let the club go. A mere dinner is half a dollar, sir.' He had no leisure to attend to my fluctuations. After debating with myself on what was to be done, I concluded that compliance was best, and leaving the money at the bar resumed my way. I had not performed more than half my journey, yet my purse was entirely exhausted. This was a specimen of the cost incurred by living at an inn. If I entered the city, a tavern must, at least for some time, be my abode— but I had not a farthing remaining to defray my charges. My father had formerly entertained a boarder for a dollar per week, and in case of need I was willing to subsist upon coarser fare and lie on a harder bed than those which our guest had been supplied. These facts had been the foundation of my negligence on this occasion. What was now to be done? To return to my paternal mansion was impossible. To relinquish my design of entering the city and to seek a temporary asylum, if not permanent employment, at some one of the plantations within view, was the most obvious expedient. These deliberations did not slacken my pace. I was almost unmindful of my way, when I found I had passed schoolkill at the upper bridge. I was now within the precincts of the city, and night was hastening." it behooved me to come to a speedy decision. Suddenly I recollected that I had not paid the customary toll at the bridge, neither had I money wherewith to pay it. A demand of payment would have suddenly arrested my progress, and so slight an incident would have precluded that wonderful destiny to which I was reserved. The obstacle that would have hindered my advance now prevented my return." scrupulous honesty did not require me to turn back and awaken the vigilance of the toll-gatherer i had nothing to pay and by returning i should only double my debt let it stand said i where it does all that honour enjoins is to pay when i am able i adhered to the crossways till i reached market street night had fallen and a triple row of lamps presented a spectacle enchanting and new My personal cares were, for a time, lost in the tumultuous sensations which I was now engrossed. I had never visited the city at this hour. When my last visit was paid I was a mere child. The novelty which environed every object was, therefore, nearly absolute. I proceeded with more cautious steps, but was still absorbed in attention to passing objects. I reached the market-house, and, entering it, indulged myself in new delight and new wonder. I need not remark that our ideas of magnificence and splendor are merely comparative, yet you may be prompted to smile when I tell you that, in walking through this avenue, I for a moment conceived myself transported to the hall. Pendant with many a row of starry lamps and blazing crescents fed by naphtha and asphaltos. That this transition from my homely and quiet retreat had been effected in so few hours wore the aspect of miracle or magic. I proceeded from one of these buildings to another till I reached their termination in Front Street. Here my progress was checked, and I sought repose to my weary limbs by seating myself on a stall. No wonder some fatigue was felt by me, accustomed as I was to strenuous exertions, since, exclusive of the minutes spent at breakfast and dinner, I had travelled fifteen hours and forty-five miles. I began now to reflect with some earnestness on my condition. I was a stranger, friendless and moneyless. I was unable to purchase food and shelter, and was wholly unused to the business of begging. Hunger was the only serious inconvenience to which I was immediately exposed. I had no objection to spend the night in the spot where I then sat. I had no fear that my visions would be troubled by the officers of the police. It was no crime to be without a home. But how should I supply my present cravings and the cravings of tomorrow? at length it occurred to me that one of our country neighbours was probably at this time in the city he kept a store as well as cultivated a farm he was a plain and well-meaning man and should i be so fortunate as to meet him his superior knowledge of the city might be of essential benefit to me in my present forlorn circumstances his generosity might likewise induce him to lend me so much as would purchase one meal I had formed the resolution to leave the city next day, and was astonished at the folly that had led me into it, but, meanwhile, my physical wants must be supplied. Where should I look for this man? In the course of conversation I recollected him to have referred to the place of his temporary abode. It was an inn, but the sign or the name of the keeper for some time withstood all my efforts to recall them. At length I lighted on the last— It was Lesher's Tavern. I immediately set out in search of it. After many inquiries I at last arrived at the door. I was preparing to enter the house when I perceived that my bundle was gone. I had left it on the stall where I had been sitting. People were perpetually passing to and fro. It was scarcely possible not to have been noticed. No one that I observed it would fail to make it his prey, yet it was of too much value to me to allow me to be governed by a bare probability. I resolved to lose not a moment in returning. With some difficulty I retraced my steps, but the bundle had disappeared. The clothes were in themselves of small value, but they constituted the whole of my wardrobe, and I now reflected that they were capable of being transmuted by the pawn or sale of them into food. There were other wretches as indigent as I was, and I consoled myself by thinking that my shirts and stockings might furnish a seasonable covering to their nakedness. But there was a relic concealed within this bundle, the loss of which could scarcely be endured by me. It was the portrait of a young man who died three years ago at my father's house, drawn by his own hand. He was discovered one morning in the orchard with many marks of insanity upon him. His air and dress bespoke some elevation of rank and fortune. My mother's compassion was excited, and, as his singularities were harmless, an asylum was afforded him, though he was unable to pay for it. He was constantly declaiming in an incoherent manner about some mistress who had proved faithless. His speeches seemed, however, like the rantings of an actor to be rehearsed by rote or for the sake of exercise. He was totally careless of his person and health, and by repeated negligences of this kind, at last contracted a fever of which he speedily died. The name which he assumed was Clavering. He gave no distinct account of his family, but stated in loose terms that they were residents in England, high-born and wealthy, that they had denied him the woman whom he loved, and banished him to America, under penalty of death if he should dare to return, and that they had refused him all means of subsistence in a foreign land. He predicted in his wild and declamatory way his own death— He was very skillful at the pencil, and drew this portrait a short time before his dissolution, presented it to me, and charged me to preserve it in remembrance of him. My mother loved the youth because he was amiable and unfortunate, and chiefly because she fancied a very powerful resemblance between his countenance and mine. I was too young to build affection on any rational foundation. I loved him for whatever reason— with an ardour unusual at my age, and which this portrait had contributed to prolong and to cherish. In thus finally leaving my home I was careful not to leave this picture behind. I wrapped it in paper, in which a few elegiac stanzas were inscribed in my own hand, and with the utmost elegance of penmanship. I then placed it in a leathern case, which, for greater security, was deposited in the centre of my bundle. "'It will occur to you, perhaps, that it would be safer in some fold or pocket of the clothes which I wore. "'I was of a different opinion, and was now to endure the penalty of my error. "'It was in vain to heap execrations on my negligence, or to consume the little strength left to me in regrets.' I returned once more to the tavern, and made inquiries for Mr. Capper, the person whom I have just mentioned as my father's neighbour. I was informed that Capper was now in town, that he had lodged on the last night at this house, that he had expected to do the same to-night, but a gentleman had called ten minutes ago, whose invitation to lodge with him to-night had been accepted. They had just gone out together. Who, I asked, was the gentleman? the landlord had no knowledge of him he knew neither his place of abode nor his name was mr capper expected to return hither in the morning no he had heard the stranger propose to mr capper to go with him into the country to-morrow and mr capper he believed had assented this disappointment was peculiarly severe i had lost by my own negligence the only opportunity that would offer of meeting my friend had even the recollection of my loss been postponed for three minutes i should have entered the house and a meeting would have been secured i could discover no other expedient to obviate the present evil my heart began now for the first time to droop i looked back with nameless emotions on the days of my infancy i called up the image of my mother i reflected on the infatuation of my surviving parent and the usurpation of the detestable Betty with horror. I viewed myself as the most calamitous and desolate of human beings. At this time I was sitting in the common room. There were others in the same apartment, lounging or whistling or singing. I noticed them not, but, leaning my head upon my hand, I delivered myself up to painful and intense meditation, "'From this I was roused by someone placing himself on the bench near me and addressing me thus. "'Pray, sir, if you will excuse me, who was the person whom you were looking for just now? "'Perhaps I can give you the information you want. "'If I can, you will be very welcome to it.' "'I fixed my eyes with some eagerness on the person that spoke.' He was a young man, expensively and fashionably dressed, whose mien was considerably prepossessing, and whose countenance bespoke some portion of discernment. I described to him the man whom I sought. "'I am in search of the same man myself,' said he, "'but I expect to meet him here. He may lodge elsewhere, but he promised to meet me here at half after nine. I have no doubt he will fulfil his promise, so that you will meet the gentleman.' I was highly gratified by this information, and thanked my informant with some degree of warmth. My gratitude he did not notice, but continued. In order to beguile expectation I have ordered supper. Will you do me the favour to partake with me, unless indeed you have supped already?" I was obliged, somewhat awkwardly, to decline his invitation, conscious as I was that the means of payment were not in my power. He continued, however, to urge my compliance, till at length it was, though reluctantly, yielded. My chief motive was the certainty of seeing Capper. My new acquaintance was exceedingly conversable, but his conversation was chiefly characterized by frankness and good humor. My reserve gradually diminished, and I ventured to inform him, in general terms, of my former condition and present views— He listened to my details with seeming attention, and commented on them with some judiciousness. His statements, however, tended to discourage me from remaining in the city. Meanwhile the hour passed, and Capper did not appear. I noticed this circumstance to him with no little solicitude. He said that possibly he might have forgotten or neglected his engagement. His affair was not of the highest importance, and might be readily postponed to a future opportunity. HE PERCEIVED THAT MY VIVACITY WAS GREATLY DAMPED BY THIS INTELLIGENCE. HE IMPORTUNED ME TO DISCLOSE THE CAUSE. HE MADE HIMSELF VERY MERRY WITH MY DISTRESS WHEN IT WAS AT LENGTH DISCOVERED. AS TO THE EXPENSE OF SUPPER, I HAD PARTAKEN OF IT AT HIS INVITATION. HE THEREFORE SHOULD, OF COURSE, BE CHARGED WITH IT. AS TO LODGING, HE HAD A CHAMBER AND A BED WHICH HE WOULD INSIST UPON MY SHARING WITH HIM. My faculties were thus kept upon the stretch of wonder. Every new act of kindness in this man surpassed the fondest expectation that I had formed. I saw no reason why I should be treated with benevolence. I should have acted in the same manner if placed in the same circumstances, yet it appeared incongruous and inexplicable. I know whence my ideas of human nature were derived. They certainly were not the offspring of my own feelings. These would have taught me that interest and duty were blended in every act of generosity. I did not come into the world without my scruples and suspicions. I was more apt to impute kindnesses to sinister and hidden than to obvious and laudable motives. I paused to reflect upon the possible designs of this person, What end could be served by this behaviour? I was no subject of violence or fraud. I had neither trinket nor coin to stimulate the treachery of others. What was offered was merely lodging for the night. Was this an act of such transcendent disinterestedness as to be incredible? My garb was meaner than that of my companion, but my intellectual accomplishments were at least upon a level with his. Why should he be supposed to be insensible to my claims upon his kindness? I was a youth, destitute of experience, money, and friends, but I was not devoid of all mental and personal endowments. That my merit should be discovered, even on such slender intercourse, had nothing in it that shocked belief. While I was thus deliberating, my new friend was earnest in his solicitations for my company. He remarked my hesitation, but ascribed it to a wrong cause. "'Come,' said he, "'I can guess your objections and can obviate them. "'You're afraid of being ushered into company, "'and people who have passed their lives like you "'have a wonderful antipathy to strange faces. "'But this is bedtime with our family, "'so that we can defer your introduction to them till to-morrow. "'We may go to our chamber without being seen by any but servants.' "'I had not been aware of this circumstance,' My reluctance flowed from a different cause, but, now that the inconveniences of ceremony were mentioned, they appeared to me of considerable weight. I was well pleased that they should thus be avoided, and consented to go along with him. We passed several streets and turned several corners. At last we turned into a kind of court, which seemed to be chiefly occupied by stables. "'We will go,' said he, "'by the back way into the house.' We shall thus save ourselves the necessity of entering the parlour, where some of the family may still be. My companion was as talkative as ever, but said nothing from which I could gather any knowledge of the number, character, and condition of his family. End of chapter 3